Well, welcome in to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and we've got you for two hours this evening, right up until our pregame show starts. That'll be the White Sox and Colorado Rockies, of course, open for a little better outcome than we had last night against the Rockies. Jose Quintana and Jeff Hoffman, the starters this evening. Hoffman uh, been off to a pretty good run over the last couple of starts, and Jose Quintana's been just... Well, he's been Jose Quintana over the last few, and that's been a bunch of fun to watch. Here's what we got planned on the show for you this afternoon, this evening, really. I mean, 5.30, this is, although the sun is still out, and it is, I got to tell you, this is probably the nicest day we've had yet all summer. It is absolutely gorgeous outside. Don Kleppen, my producer, and I, are just we're just sitting here in the studio looking outside and envying you we're sitting outside, hanging out, enjoying this wonderful weather and listening to White Sox Weekly. Can't thank you enough for that. Uh, Friday, July 14th. I'll let you know what we got planned in just a little bit here. Friday, July 14th is 90s night as your Sox take on the Seattle Mariners at 710. Join us as we play your favorite throwback jams throughout the game and be sure to stay for a post-game fireworks show presented by the Village of Bedford Park. Visit WhiteSox.com to purchase your tickets today. We're actually going to get in on 90s night as well on the broadcast on WLS AM 890. Uh, we will have the pregame show, of course, and the postgame show. And, uh, you know, there's a little music in between the game, too, or during the game, I should say. And I think what I've planned with Dave Zaslowski, our executive producer of White Sox Baseball, I think I'm just going to take, you know, that big visor rack of CDs that you had back in the 90s when you were driving around, that thing that Velcroed around the sunshade that you pulled down. And then invariably, as you pulled it down, one of the CDs or two or maybe all of them, if you were me, would fall out and all over the place while you're trying to drive the, sto- the sob stick shift that you were trying to learn on at the same time. Real safe. Real safe stuff. Anyway, I still have that sunshade visor packed with 90s albums because that's when, that's when I was cruising around in the 85 sob. So I thought maybe I'd bring those in and we'd get in on the throwback 90s night as well. You can just hang out at the ballpark July 14th on 90s night as the Sox take on the Mariners. But if you're listening to the broadcast, I promise some 90s flavor as well. So, thank you. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Oh, thank you, Don. Thank you. Uh, so, here's what we have planned for you this afternoon on the show. It's it's a good one, and mostly because of the people we're going to talk to. Colin Whitchurch, uh, Baseball Prospectus Southside, is going to join us right after the 6 o'clock news. So that's coming up here in just a little bit, about a half an hour or so. We'll talk to Colin. In case you missed it, Baseball Prospectus, the, the mothership, the big site, put out the top 50 midseason prospects just a day or two ago. And, yeah, not a surprise here. The White Sox are prominently featured in that list, and that's nice to see, no doubt about it. A couple of names that you no doubt know, but it's, you know, a few have slid, and a few have moved up, a few have had interesting seasons so far. Uh, so we'll talk to Colin about some of those guys and, and about the big league team in the whole, too, because as we – Approach the All-Star break. What is it? Two games now left before the All-Star break tonight and tomorrow afternoon. Then we've got four days off. Then the then it's the post-All-Star break. Then it's the two-and-a-half-week sprint to the trade deadline, which I always find, regardless of whatever team I've happened to cover in the past or now the White Sox the last two seasons, I've always found the deadline as a, as a baseball fan to be one of the more exciting playoffs aside to be one of the more exciting times. I, I love the panic. I love the frenzy. I love the just complete chaos of it all as you come down to the last four or five days. 
reports everywhere and hypotheticals all over the place. And what if you move this? I, I just I love that about baseball. I love that in baseball that matters seemingly more than other sports. You don't see any of that in the NFL. Nobody makes trades. Not really. Hoops, you see that pretty well. But I feel like in baseball, it seems so much more impactful. And even after the deadline's passed, you've got the August deals too, the waiver deals that can still go through. And those have been big players for teams that have made the playoffs over the last couple of seasons too. And returns on some of those guys have been fairly interesting to watch. So I I can't wait for the trade deadline. And we're starting to hear a little bit more of a... a little bit more of a solidified rumor mill come together, I think. You know, all season long, you heard so far, you've heard some of the same things over and over. Huh? yeah, you know, the White Sox are listening on, you know, this, that, and the other guy. And, uh, you know, the Royals are not quite sure what they're going to do. And, boy, the Yankees could go add. I mean, stuff that you knew already. You, you knew these things. You knew that, that the Astros were going to be kicking tires on everybody you could find after they sprinted out to a 14-game lead in the first nine days of the season. You knew that. And Rick Hahn has said many times what the aim, what the objective is this season. It's not a surprise that some of those were. But now we start to see something, feel something, and hear something a little bit more concrete. And that, to me, that's a blast. And I know White Sox fans are interested in it this year. We'll talk about that with Colin Whitchurch as well. Uh, right about 6.35-ish, we're going to talk to Chris Getz, the White Sox Director of Player Development. Chris is in his first season in that role with the White Sox. We talked to him right when on the show, right as the season got going, I think. Well, I guess it would have been in spring training, so right before the regular season started. Caught up with Chris in Arizona, talked about a lot of stuff. And I, I talked to him. This conversation you'll hear took place yesterday morning. What's today, Saturday? Yeah, Friday morning. So it took place Friday morning. And he's on his way down to Miami. In fact, I think he's on the flight right now down to Miami to go see three of the White Sox prospects in the Futures game, which is tomorrow. Of course, that's Michael Kopech, starter for for AA Birmingham. Zach Collins, who's the catcher at Winston-Salem, first-round draft pick last year. And Yoan Mankata, who is the best prospect in all of baseball, a guy who I think... Maybe seeing the big leagues soon. I certainly hope so. It'd be fun to watch. You got to keep the development track on the right, well, track, I guess. But I wouldn't be surprised at all to see uh, see one of those guys, Mankata, probably play a little big big league ball this year. Anyway, those three guys are going to be in the futures game. We'll talk with Chris uh, about those three gentlemen, about development in general, and and of course we'll ask the question, the important one that I, I know I've been asked a lot, just on post game shows or whatever. When are these call-ups going to happen? You know, when are guys ready? What do you look for when when you see a ball player that's ready to go from the minor leagues into the big leagues? We'll, we'll talk about that, that some with the director of player development for the White Sox, Chris Getz. We will at 7.05 make a phone call to Dan Hayes of CSN Chicago. He is in Colorado and before that was out west as the White Sox took on the A's in this uh, the first three-game series of this six-game, seven-day road trip. We'll talk to Dan about what's going on with the 25-man roster, what the White Sox have been up to lately, losing their last three. Um, we'll do a farm report for you, just kind of a more general look at some of the prospects. Uh, I have a couple of injury updates for you as well that we'll get into probably in the next minute or so. And, oh, your phone calls, as always, welcome here on the show. We call it the mailbag there's two ways you can get into it, 312-591-8900. That's the phone number today. It's different than the pre- and the post-game show number. It's just the way the wires are wired here. 312-591-8900. That's the phone number, 312-591-8900. 
I, I guess what I'm asking for right now, uh, as far as your input, but we'll, we can talk anything you want regarding the White Sox. What is it that you're most looking forward to over the next, I'm going to make it real, next two weeks? Let's call it these next two weeks. Maybe it's just watching Avi Garcia in the All-Star game. And here's hoping that he's ready to roll and that his finger feels a little bit better than it had the last two days. Uh, Avi was not in the lineup yesterday and is not in the lineup again tonight. Willie Garcia is in right field, Melky in left, and Adam Engel is in center. So that uh, jammed fingers keeping him out of yet another ball game. And I suppose as we dive into the, oh, you can hit us on Twitter too. At C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. And anything you leave there for us throughout the week, we'll pick up in the mailbag. That's kind of how we like to work it. So Avi's out. That's part one of the injury update that I want to get you here before we uh, take our first break. Miguel Gonzalez threw a triple-A two nights ago. He went uh, four and change, gave up seven hits, three runs, all of them earned, struck out a pair, didn't walk anybody, threw about 70-some pitches. And I would imagine, educated guess here, I hadn't seen this written, but an educated guess is that he continued throwing once he was taken out of the game. That's just usually what happens in those minor leagues, just to make sure you get to a certain number of pitches. But as that stamina builds back up, Miguel coming back from the sprained AC joint in his shoulder, uh, the hope is that he can rejoin the rotation after a rehab start or three, probably, I, I think is kind of what Don Cooper and the rest of the White Sox staff were, were kind of pegging for about three starts or so. So we'll see how uh, Miguel Gonzalez bounces back from some of those starts. Uh, down in AAA, also Tyler Saladino still working his minor league rehab stuff. He had a homer the other night, has been hitting pretty well, was 6 of 12, did not play in last night's game. And I'm looking at today's game. He is not in the lineup today either, uh, or at least wasn't for this first game. I think the Charlotte Knights, who lead the Louisville Bats 15-4 right now, top nine, I think they're going to take this one home. 20 hits for the Knights in that game. Uh, I would imagine Tyler's going to get another game or two. Uh, And this was from the White Sox last night, and we addressed it some on the post-game show, as memory serves. But an MRI on Luis Robert. Remember, he was one of the top international prospects that signed with the White Sox just a couple of weeks ago, in case you forgot. Uh, one of what would likely be a top 50 for sure prospect, maybe even a top 30 kind of guy, suffered a minor injury to the meniscus in his left knee. He was sliding trying to steal home in a Dominican Summer League game. That was on Tuesday. He finished that game which is important to note, right? I mean, so this isn't a, a, you know, you finish the game. Some discomfort, though. They're going to keep him out for at least the next seven days. Going to get some treatment, make sure the swelling goes down, all that good stuff. But that is the latest on Luis Rober. Uh, You should also know that he's been hitting, up until that knee injury, hitting really well in the Dominican Summer League, which was expected for a guy like him. That's something you should go out and do. Nice to check that box. Be really interesting to see uh, when he makes his debut stateside and and exactly how that goes. I mean, I, I'm champing at the bit to find out. I, I know the White Sox have added a lot of talent here of late. Oh, oh and speaking of, if we're talking about adding talent, I guess I'll squeeze in this note too. Jake Berger and Gavin Sheets, the first round and second round pick of the White Sox in this past draft just a couple of weeks ago, they've both now debuted for low A Kannapolis. Berger went three for three in his debut. No, no problem there. Run scored, a double, the whole deal. Uh, Sheets was still looking for a hit, I think. But still, both of those guys were there, debuting at Loewe, Canapolis. And listen, they're advanced college bats, the both of them. 
and I wouldn't be all that surprised. And I'm probably putting too much on it, and I would probably get a weird sideways look from Rick Hahn if I said this to him. I wouldn't be surprised if either of those gentlemen, maybe even both, move up one level before this season's out. I'm not saying they have to. I'm not saying if they don't, they're failing. Not by any means am I saying that. I just, given what I've heard from from some scouts, from guys who have looked at them, from people outside the org who have looked at it too, wouldn't be surprised if that's the case, and I'm sure uh, Rick Hahn will end me for even putting that thing on them. 312-591-8900 is the phone number. You can give us a call that way. You can hit us on Twitter at C1McKnight. This is White Sox Weekly. We come back, we'll dive into what the last four or five games for the White Sox have looked like, get into some uh, deadline rumors that have popped up here over the last 48 hours or so, and we'll talk about starting pitching. We will talk, I think, quite a bit about starting pitching. This is White Sox Weekly. you got WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Sox fans, you can join us as the White Sox take on the Cleveland Indians Saturday, July 29th at 6, 10 p.m. The first 20,000 fans receive a 1917 throwback jersey presented by Xfinity. Xfinity X1 will change the way you experience TV. I got to tell you, the first time I saw the, the 1917 throwback jersey that they're giving away there, I was in the broadcast booth with Ed and DJ and Dave, our executive producer, and a couple other people, and we hadn't seen it yet. It came up on the screen, and everybody kind of got quiet, looked at the thing, and went, yeah, I'd wear that. That's a thing. I would absolutely – it's a sharp look. I don't know if you've seen it yet. Uh, Let's see if we can find a picture and tweet it out. But it is a sharp-looking jersey. You can pick that up July 29th. First 20,000 fans get one. It's a 6-10 game against the Cleveland Indians. You can purchase your tickets for that ball game today, right now, in fact. Go to WhiteSox.com or call 866-SOX-GAME. That's all you've got to do. Let's see if there's anything else I needed to catch you up on before we hit the last. Oh, yeah. Okay, so Colin Whitchurch coming up at 6.05, which means we got a few minutes, you and I, to talk about what's been up with the White Sox of late, the last couple of ball games. And really, it's more than just the last couple. Uh, I think this goes probably back maybe the month of half the month of June, now into July. It's kind of what about it feels like. And I think Derek Holland summed it up last night, and you'll hear it in the pregame show coming up at 7.35 this evening. I'm trying to make sure that I clean it up in the right way. He, He admitted he didn't pitch well last night. He used some fairly strong words that threw it on his shoulders, as you're supposed to do, as a guy, a veteran, like Derek Holland would do, a stand-up dude whose teammates respect him and who and, and he respects his teammates likewise, uh, too much to the point where, or so much to the point where, burden's got to be taken, I think, and he understands that, that his, that's his to take. Last night was a tough one. Four innings, eight hits, seven runs they were earned, two walks, two strikeouts, two home runs. Coors is a tough place to pitch in. It is. It is, a, it is. Ask the Rockies. My God. It's a tough place to pitch in. That said, you know, adjustments got to be made. And I, I think with Derek last night, whether he was falling behind early and then having to come back much closer to the middle of the strike zone than he'd wanted, whether he didn't have the kind of command that he was looking for, regardless of what it, whether, whether the command of his pitch, the shape of his breaking balls were everything he wanted them to be, whether that's the atmosphere or whether it's just having an off night. So be it, you got to find ways to pitch around that stuff. It's not me saying that. That's what Derek said last night. 
You know, I mean, that's 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 kind of the, the process that you have to take from there. And unfortunately, that start comes in a run of starts for Holland and the White Sox, by and large, that have really tapped into a bullpen that's been tapped into already. I feel like we, we sing this song a little while, and it's, what's been remarkable, absolutely remarkable, is the reliability that that bullpen has come out with, by and large. I've had a couple outings here or there that haven't been all that great, but... David Holmberg's been pretty good coming out of late. Tommy Canley had the rough one against the A's. You wish you hadn't given up that home run to Franklin Barreto to cost the White Sox the ball game. I, I'm sure he wishes the same thing, but you can hardly... That's the third home run he's given up all season. He's struck out just about everybody else he's pitched to. Canley's been great. Anthony Swarzak has it coming back on. Dan Jennings has pitched really well. You know, there, there are guys... Chris Beck, time or two in the last week, hadn't looked up, but more or less, Chris Beck's really good. And because of that, Ricky Renneria is able to go down to that bullpen when the starters come up a little short, which they have mostly recently, and count on just about anybody. That's pretty impressive to me. More so because bullpens can be so volatile from season to season. I mean, you try and build one, you try and pay for one. and I mean, heck, a team that the White Sox just got done playing, the A's, a few years ago when they were trying to push for it, when they thought they had some pieces, they were paying bullpen arms to come in and get this done and it didn't work. Not because necessarily they signed the wrong guy. Just bullpens are finicky things. Anyway, it's it's been interesting to watch that happen. But I think in the midst of that, right, this is the first series. This series against the Rockies, this is the first series the White Sox will have where Jose Quintana and Carlos Rodon are working in the same three-game series all year. This is game, I want to make sure I counted it right. Yeah, this is game 86. Game 86 and 87 will be the first two games Carlos Rodon and Jose Quintana have pitched in the same series. It's unfortunate. You know, you wish Carlos had been there to, to establish his development track for this season earlier. It didn't happen. And he's got one heck of a chance to pick things back up where he left off. And as we're talking about starting pitching here, I, I think what's been really, really interesting to watch and what I'm absolutely jacked to watch tomorrow afternoon not that I'm not looking forward to Jose's start tonight. I actually really am. Uh, but Rodon tomorrow, you know, if he keeps up where he was last time out, striking out double digits, looking filthy. He threw 102 pitches his last start. Had, depending on which site you go by, uh, Brooks Baseball had one, and I think Baseball Savant had another, but somewhere between 24 and 26 swings and misses on strikes. That's a ridiculous number. That's filthy, filthy stuff. You take that from coming off a start where he couldn't find the strike zone with a map. Six walks, it was tough. He fought through it, impressive in itself. It just had to knock a lot of rust off. You go from that one to the last one, that's impressive as all get out. I'm very excited to see what Carlos Rodon is able to do against the Rockies at Coors Field tomorrow afternoon. I'm very excited to see what Jose Quintana is going to look like tonight. His last couple of starts have been really, really good. The ERA for Q in June and now into July, or since June started, I should say, into July, sitting around one and a half. You know, just one and a half. I, I think what's incredible to me is the up and down, the, the rough first two months Quintana had. And whether it was because you talk to Don Cooper, and we do every single series on the White Sox pregame show, you talk to Coop and what he points out over and over again 
and I think rightly so, is that in those rough starts he had, more or less, there's one here and there, the, the Boston start, uh, I think uh, Don Cooper said. That one That one was a lemon. Fair enough. There, there's really an inning in each of those bad starts, really just one inning. He just, he just hadn't gotten out of. He just wasn't able to work around whatever contact it was, whatever extra base power there was, dingers, walks, the whole thing, whatever it happened to be in that start. One inning in there. And in that way, what I can tell you is that I think the White Sox saw that one inning. Okay, okay, this is workable. This is a very much a workable thing to figure out and deal with. And as he's dealt with you know that, some fastball command issues, changing up the prescription a little bit, Tossing a few more change-ups, dialing back on the curveball. Some the usage. I mean, not necessarily you know speed or shape, but the usage of it. I think Q's really kind of settled into being that guy we're all used to seeing so long. I think he's settled into that point so much that, and we talked about this at the top of the show. Shouldn't surprise anybody here. At least not the fact that teams are looking at Jose Quintana and starting to do some of the due diligence that teams do right around this time of season. But it's a team like the Brewers, apparently. And this was a John Morosi, MLB.com, who had the report just, uh, what was this, the 7th? So, yeah, yesterday. The Brewers, the surprise leaders of the National League Central, as uh, as John Morosi puts it, doing some background work on Jose Quintana and Sonny Gray. Sonny Gray's a guy we just saw, actually. The White Sox just saw him a few days ago. Gray's looking pretty good. In two starts against the White Sox, he looked pretty good. The Brewers make some sense, I guess, for both of those guys and that there's some control on both of those players. Brewers, mid-market team, they don't have the deep pockets that a team like the Yankees might. So going after a guy who might be a rental and then you'd subsequently have to pay to keep him or not pay and you know kind of lose those prospects for a you know just a three-month shot. It's not the Brewers trying to pick up CC Sabathia as in, you know, a decade ago, but it's the Brewers trying to pick up a guy who can you know, last and fit the profile of what they're trying to do. That's a good young team with a very good young farm system. A guy like Lewis Brinson would be pretty interesting if you were able, whichever franchise you are, whoever you are, pry that loose from the Brewers. be a pretty interesting thing. We'll talk about some of those minor leaguers, uh, both in the White Sox system and outside, and, and a few other things, too, with Colin Whitchurch of BP Southside in just a few minutes. We will hit the news here at 6 o'clock. Sox fans, though, you can join us. The Sox take on the Seattle Mariners Saturday, July 15th at 6.10 p.m. First 20,000 fans receive a White Sox cap presented by the private bank. Purchase your tickets today by visiting whitesox.com or calling 866-SOX-GAME. Probably just save that number and our number here, 312-591-8900. Probably just save those in your phone. Save them under White Sox and save them for a Saturday afternoon where you want to talk some White Sox with us. This is White Sox Weekly. You've got WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly on WLS AMA 90, MLB.TV every night, every device. Watch every out-of-market regular season game. Plus, get a free subscription to At-Bat Premium. Oh, God, I love At-Bat Premium. It's the number one app for live baseball. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.TV for details. A man who I'm sure has MLB.TV and At-Bat Premium and all of the other goodies that come along. Colin Whitchurch of BP Southside joins us now on White Sox Weekly. Colin, long time, no talk. How you been, my friend? Not bad, Connor. Thanks for having me. How you doing? Absolutely. I am fantastic. Absolutely wonderful. Looking forward to the All-Star break. I think it'll be fun uh, to watch Avi Garcia out there if he's indeed able to go. Uh, let me just, if I can, reset for folks uh, tuning in and just start to listen. Avi not in the lineup again today. 
He's got that jam finger, and we'll just have to see. We'll talk to Dan Hayes right about 7 o'clock or so and see what that finger might do or not do for him during the All-Star game. But uh, suffice it to say, I think that's where we ought to start, Colin. I don't think when you and I talked, and I think you and I talked first uh, this season right as we got started. I don't think anybody saw this season coming from Avi Garcia, maybe even including Avi Garcia. What's been the most What's been the most mind-boggling thing to you? Yeah, you know, it's been if I almost went into this season where Avi was kind of a, a forgotten man to me, you know. He had drawn such an ire from the fan base over the past couple of years as the White Sox tried to compete and he was such a disappointment. And this year, you know, kind of being a rebuilding year, it was like, well, you know, no big deal playing Avi this year because they're not trying to win this year. And, of course, now he breaks out and is performing every bit as well as people hoped when they traded for him back in 2013. And, you know, it's – I don't know if it's going to continue. You know, he's obviously nursing an injury right now in amidst a slump. But it's amazing to see. I'm happy that he made the all-star team. You know, the as as the Babbitt comes down, kind of the – the results have kind of stabilized a little bit, but he's still, you know, putting the bat on the ball better than he has at any point in his career. And that's been the most surprising thing. He's shown more power, the power that people thought that he would have when they traded for him. And yeah, I mean, it's been far and away the biggest surprise of the season. And that's when you consider the success of guys like Leary Garcia and Yolanda Sanchez, that's saying quite a bit. Yeah, we're talking with Colin Whitchurch of BP Southside here on White Sox Weekly. You know, you mentioned some of those other names, too. And as bright a star as Avi has been throughout the first couple of months of this season, there are other ballplayers who have really kind of impressed to a level that I wasn't expecting, that I think perhaps others hadn't, whether it's Lurie, whether it's a guy like Melky Cabrera, uh, really kind of backing up another solid season, or, you know, from, from veteran to uh, to rookie, or even a guy like Adam Engel who probably is here early, and yet I can't get over how good he's been defensively, how good other people tell me he's been defensively, and, and how well he's stuck with the bat, too. Yeah. Um, Engel, you know, is someone who I, I've never been particularly high on. You know, he still strikes out a ton. I don't know how much he's going to be able to put the, the bat on the ball consistently during his career. Mm-hmm. but the White Sox system has struggled so much to develop position players over the past decade that even if he turns into a fourth outfielder defensive specialist, that's something. He's probably the best defensive center fielder in their system right now. I'd agree with that, yeah. Um, I, yeah, obviously, you know, the Jacob May experiment failed in April, and him and Angle have kind of come up together to a certain extent. So, you know, the speed is is plus. The defense is very plus. And if he can just figure out a way to put the bat on the ball enough to warrant a major league roster spot, that's a big bonus. So you guys over at BP put together a midseason top 50 prospect list. I know you've got a little write-up there on uh, on BP Southside about some of the White Sox that are on there. Uh, if you will, and if you and, and with whichever or how much ever secret sauce you can spill for us on this, what what kind of goes into? A midseason top 50? Is it a rework of, you know, are you taking that list? Do you all take that list and just kind of relook at how they put it together? Or is this a completely new um, amalgamation of, of minor leaguers that you guys come up with you know, for the midseason top 50? You know, that's something that we, we actually talked about. We did a podcast, which you can find on bpsouthside.com, with Craig Goldstein, who's the minor league editor at the big site at Baseball Perspective. And a darn and, good know, we one. We were talking about guys. 
Yes, he is. <laughs> and we were kind of talking about where guys fell and where guys rose, and he said it's easy to look at things like that, but we don't we don't take the preseason top 101 into account at all. You know, they just completely look at it brand new from how the guys are performing now in past performance, what they've learned in the past three and a half months since that initial list came out and, and go from there. And obviously the White Sox are well represented. It's a very different atmosphere than past years. You know, I think the the first year that I started looking at prospects really closely, the White Sox had one top 100 prospect, and it was Addison Reed, who was like number 98 or something like that. And now they've got four, and you could even argue for five guys in the top 50 with the kind of caveat of Luis Robert and how they don't know how to rank him just yet. I thought that was a really good – you know, we'll talk to Chris Getz, the director of player development here on the other side of the 630 News, and he was actually uh, – I think a lot of people are are were happy with not ranking Luis Robber, having not seen him. I, I think that was a responsible thing to do. That said, you know the caveat that was attached to him, like yeah, he's probably going to be a top fifty guy. Worth it. I, I thought that was a pretty good way to to handle a guy that no one's really seen stateside. Yeah, and that's exactly what they talked about during the process. You know, I, I speaking to some of the guys uh, before before the post went up, they said they had him slotted initially in like the range of about number 30. Mm-hmm. But then it was just, you know, they, it was, they kind of felt like it was irresponsible to rank someone that they haven't actually been able to get their eyes on personally as a prospect team. So, you know, and you can read the reports, you can talk to the sources and the scouts and they can, some can like them more than others. And you can go based on that, but they figured until we actually get our eyes on this guy, let's just kind of leave him off for now. Colin Whitchurch, BP Southside, here with us on White Sox Weekly. What kept Yoan Mankata, given what you said about how the midseason top 50 is kind of reimagined, I guess, what kept Yoan Mankata one overall on that list? And why well, he was Ronaldo Lopez? Oh, sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry yeah, go ahead. What, what left Ronaldo Lopez off the top 50? Sure. Well, in Mankata's case, you know, he was number five in the preseason top 101. And if you look at the four guys ahead of him, it kind of makes sense that he would jump up to that spot. Um, I believe the top the top four ahead of him in the preseason were Alex Reyes, who had Tommy John surgery right after that list was published. Right, that's right. Um, Andrew, Andrew Benintendi and Dansby Swanson, who are no longer eligible because they're with the big clubs. And then J.P. Crawford of the Phillies, who's had a terrible season at AAA this year. So, you know, it kind of came down to the top seven, probably, who are on that list is what they were debating between. And ultimately, and there's an article on BaseballProtects.com where they kind of break down how they landed on Moncada, but ultimately it came down to Moncada and Rosario. And the fact that Moncada has four, you know, most of these guys are five-tool potential guys. Mm-hmm. Moncada's one of them. And the fact that they figured Moncada has four already established tools the one biggest question is that hit tool because of the swing and miss in his bat. That's what put him ahead of everyone else. There's four already established tools and one with the potential to be a plus tool still. Interesting that, you know, the defense is kind of – or the defensive reputation that he's carried has kind of solidified some at second base with Charlotte. I don't know that people are saying he's, you know, Robbie Cano or anything, you know, defensively, though he does definitely compare himself to it. But I think he's been a lot more steady than others had – well, than people had maybe feared. I think that's definitely true, and I think having some stability at a position this year has probably helped him. I don't know if he's ever going to win a gold glove at second base, but, you know, the the Red Sox were bouncing him around a little bit. When he got called up in September last year, they they had him playing third base. You know, that was more out of need than anything. They had Dustin Pedroia at second. 
uh, you know, that people have talked that he could even play center field maybe. Uh, obviously, he's huge for a center fielder. Yeah. But, uh, you know, having to be able to get consistent reps at second base and know, hey, this is where we're playing you. When you get to the majors, that's where you're going to be, I think has probably helped him quite a bit. So what's with Ronaldo Lopez not making the list? I, I think perhaps he's been one of the most steady of the top arms in the White Sox system. Um, I think you you know you make make that argument probably for Michael Kopak as well, though his development track is you know not at all close to where Ronaldo Lopez is. I wonder why he didn't make it. Yeah, that was you know we we joked it's you know baseball perspective puts four White Sox and four and a half if you include Robert right. on their top fifty, and we joked that the thing we focused on too much is why didn't Ronaldo Lopez make it? <laughs> you know, he was number he he was number thirty in the top one hundred one, right. so. Again, they said they they don't they don't base that list off of anything when they when they're rebuilding it, so that didn't factor in. But we said why top thirty, number thirty overall, uh, you know, three and a half months ago now, not in the top fifty. What's the deal? And basically, the idea is like like most pitching prospects, there's questions as to whether or not he's going to be a starter long term. And to, to put it bluntly, the concerns over whether or not he can be a starter long term haven't been disproven over the last three and a half months, according to our prospect team now the white Sox are obviously going to give him every opportunity to start and there are maybe no other organizations better at getting these guys to their full potential you know people said the same thing about chris sale when he was drafted that he was going to be a reliever long term so there's going to be you know there's there's certainly a lot of questions about it the white Sox are going to give him the chance and we'll see which one comes true Colin, as we let you go here, and I, I guess maybe we'll take you out of the prospect depth and put you into the uh, into the GM chair some, what do you expect this deadline to bring, I, I think, across the league? I don't know necessarily that, that I have to pin you down to a move or two the White Sox make because it, obviously, you know, that the, the potential moves are there. What do you expect this deadline, though, to look like now that we have a much better shape of both the NL and the AL, as it were? Yeah, you know, the, the pitching market is really starting to to become more interesting to me. You know, coming into the season, it was that Quintana was pretty far and away the number one pitcher who was going to be available. Um, you know, and that still very well may be true, but a lot of other guys have kind of become available. You know, Sonny Graves had a decent first half. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I read a report the other day that said that's who the Astros are targeting now is Gray, and they're doing their reports on him. Uh, you know, depending on what Tampa wants to do with Chris Archer, depending on what Pittsburgh wants to do with Garrett Cole, it's going to have a lot to do with it. And, you know, the White Sox are still holding the card on Quintana. You know, he's still under team control through 2020. Rick Hahn has preached patience with this. He's not going to panic and make a trade before July 31st just because that's what everyone expects him to do. Man. So, But with all of this other competition with starting pitchers, it's going to make things really interesting. And, you know, if, if I were a betting man, instead of the White Sox going to trade Quintana before July 31st, I'd say no. But it's it's really tough to tell right now. Interesting. Very interesting. Colin, always good talking baseball with you. Really appreciate you hopping on the show. You do great work there over at BP Southside, and, uh, and I appreciate the time, man. Hey, thanks a lot, Connor. Anytime. You got it. Colin Whitchurch, BP Southside. You can follow him on Twitter as well. I think it's just Colin Whitchurch. Probably should have asked him when we had him on the phone. Uh, but I believe it is just Colin Whitchurch on Twitter. You can follow us at C1McKnight. That's the Twitter handle here. You got a couple of notes you want to leave us. Feel free to do that. Get into the mailbag a little later on in the show. You can also give us a ring. 312-591-8900. Got a couple of minutes here on the other side of a quick break. I want to tell you a few things that I kind of thought of as we were talking with Colin, both about prospects and about the potential trade moves at the deadline. Those are coming up. And 
Trade deadline's got me excited every single year since I'm 12, something like that. So I'm, I'm looking forward to another one. We are getting close. Of course, the All-Star break's around the corner. And obviously, it's 7.35 tonight. We start our White Sox pregame show. We got the Sox and Rockies. Oh, and I have an, I have an, I have a, an area scout reports from Coors Field about who's at and scouting at Coors Field. I'll get to you later. Hold on. One second. We'll be right back on WLS AMA 90. Calling all Illini alum. Join us on Friday, July 14th, as the White Sox take on the Mariners at 7.10 p.m. You can purchase a specially priced ticket package for the opportunity to watch batting practice before the gates open and to receive a White Sox Illini hat. It is a sharp cap. To purchase this specially priced ticket package, visit whitesox.com slash Illini. Yes, you can win it, um, so to speak. Maybe we'll have one for you. We'll see. we got to find out. That's the other thing we needed to ask on the show today. We gave away a Hawk Harrelson alarm clock about a month ago or so, and we had just people lined up for this thing, and I was so happy to ship it out to the winner that we had. Um, we we got to, at some point here, probably after the trade deadline, yeah, I think after the trade deadline, once once the you know the hardcore stuff has kind of faded, we got to give something out again. And I wanted to know, you know, of the upcoming giveaways, maybe we can get our hands on something to give to people who were unable to make it to the game. You know, something like the Illini hat, maybe the 1917 jersey. I don't know, stuff like that. Is there something that you want, you know, because Steve and Jason, Steve Stone and Jason Benetti have the, the, the prize table that they give away from all the time for Sox math. And I, we, we, need, we need something to give, to give to people, to we just need them. Need something like that. So if you got anything you want, let me know, and we'll try and find something around the ballpark. Maybe we'll just take something from Benetti. Just take like a pullover or something he's supposed to be using for the broadcast. Not tell him about it. Send it to you instead. 312-591-8900 is the phone number here on White Sox Weekly. You can also hit us on Twitter at C1McKnight. That is the tweeter handle. C1 McKnight is the Twitter handle. We had a phone call. We lost you. Sorry, Lisa. Call right back. We'll get right to you. Promise. Um, coming up after the 630 News, we will talk with Chris Getz, the Director of Player Development for the White Sox. And I, I think it'll be a – I think you want to tune into the conversation. He and I talked yesterday morning. He was on his way to Miami for the Futures game. And by the way, Futures game is Sunday, tomorrow. Yuan Mankata, Zach Collins – and Michael Kopech are all participating in this game for the White Sox. There exists the possibility, then, that Michael Kopech is being caught by Zach Collins while Yoan Mankata is hitting, which would be a ton of fun. That'd be a blast. Uh, they split him up into the Team USA Team World. Kind of thing. I'm not sure why it has to be USA against the world, but it is. That's the way they're doing it. So Kopech and Collins are on the same team, and Mankata is on Team World. They look to be pretty evenly spliced rosters, although Team World, is it's the, there are more countries in the world than there are in, in U.S. It's just the way it works. So we'll see how the thing ends up. But there is, as always, a boatload of talent. Um, and I don't, I've been looking through and trying to find it because actually Chris, Chris asked about it, whether a team had had three players in the Futures game and I believe it's only happened one or t- once or twice. I believe it's only happened once or twice. And even then, these these guys are... I, I just think it's been interesting to watch the development of, of all these young prospects. I think it's such a different and fun way to go about a season in which your team has kind of said, we are acquiring young talent. 
We are looking to enrich the depth here. And, and then you just get so many ballplayers to watch, wonder about, and kind of you know explore whether or not they're going to be big leader, big leaguers, whether they've got that kind of, you know, that kind of game. Uh, Sox fans, don't miss the signature podcast, The Cycle. Comedian in Chicago and Pat McGann, along with a rotating group of co-hosts, chats with athletes and celebrities about sports life and everything in between. Subscribe via your podcast app today. I know Matt Davidson was one of the recent guests on that podcast. Matt came back into the clubhouse after having done the podcast and would not stop laughing. Apparently, it was a very enjoyable time for everybody, probably including Matt. So that's it's a fun one. Go take a listen. Uh, I've done it. Pat is a hysterical human being. Uh, so you should listen to that show after you're done listening to this one on your podcast. By the way, you can find us on the whole podcast, wherever you podcast, or just head to WLSAM.com slash White Sox. Go to the White Sox Weekly page, and everything we've ever done is right there on the website. Probably a bad thing, but everything we've ever done is there, including, uh, or will be including, the upcoming interview we've got coming up. Chris Getz, White Sox Director of Player Development. He's next on White Sox Weekly. This is WLSAM 890. So welcome back into White Sox Weekly on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight, and with me is the Director of Development, uh, the man, the myth, the legend, Chris Getz. Hey, Chris, how you doing? What's going on? Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Appreciate you hanging out for a few. Uh, let me ask you this, Chris. As we, we get to the All-Star break, we get to uh, deadlines passing, we get to futures games, and, and really kind of a solid chunk of baseball to evaluate some talent with. I know a lot of White Sox fans are asking, when does this guy come up? When does this guy come up? And I, I won't ask you that necessarily, but what's the process like for you as the club starts to decide, whether it's a whomever it is, starts to decide whether a guy's ready to get called up for his first cup of coffee in the big leagues? Well, it's great now that we're kind of uh, nearing the halfway point, uh, actually past the halfway point on the minor league side. But the body of work's there. Um, you know, sometimes you just get these quick glimpses in spring training, uh, April, May. But now, you know, it's, it's a significant amount of time where you feel like you can get a pretty um, pretty good evaluation. Um, so when, you know, you kind of reach in a point where, okay, who's ready? When is he ready? Um, you know, we can look back at uh, the things that they've done on the field. And I, certainly for me, kind of first time, in the organization going through the season here, um, I'm much more comfortable um, speaking about some of our players here. But a lot of it is, you know, the timing of things. Um, obviously, you want to get, you know, the amount of at-bats or innings in AAA or AA if they haven't had them before. And then, you know, if they're uh, under consideration to be called up, you want them to be playing fairly well so when they come up here, we'll put them in the best position to have success. Was it for a guy like Yohan Mankata and the injury he had with the uh, with the thumb earlier in the season, is that maybe, I mean, obviously you don't want guys getting hurt, but is that maybe a little bit of a blessing in disguise in that, you know, he had some time to kind of step back a little bit, heal up some. I, I think it had been bothering him a little bit before, but he, he got to struggle a little bit. And Rick Hahn has talked a lot about how struggling in the minor leagues to, to any kind of degree is a good thing because you have to learn how to deal with that at some point. I mean, battling through injuries is definitely part of kind of the learning process, and you would much rather do that uh, in the minor leagues than the big leagues. Uh, in Yoan's case, you know, sometimes, you know, the silver linings of these these uh, kind of nicks and bruises are, you know, you, you can step back. 
kind of slow the game down. Okay, what's going on? You just you're given a little bit more time to kind of self-evaluate uh, as he becomes more of a student of the game, uh, in which he is. He's just a guy that can't get enough and want, wants to be the best he possibly can. But um, yeah, going through that kind of uh, time off and getting back, and then he got a little over anxious, started expanding the zone a little bit, trying to do too much. Um, but through all of that, you can kind of look back and you know, learn from it and use it in the future. We've, we've seen Mankato when he came up with the Red Sox. You know, he played a little third base over there at the major league level. And I, I just, maybe not with Mankata specifically, but with some other guys that you've got that might, you know, as we go on here, get close to getting called up or, or be called up for September or what have you. How, how important it is, is it to the organization, to the White Sox organization, that a guy gets a couple of games, a week of games, two weeks of games at a position other than maybe his primary to give a little bit of, I don't know, versatility to Ricky Renneria once he comes up to the big league level? You know, it's kind of case to case. Um, you know, some guys are, are are guys that you would, you know, you want to be moving around the, the diamond because certainly the flexibility it gives to, to Renteria is uh, invaluable with being able to get guys rest and continually give guys consistent at-bats. Um, now, there are cases where, let's say, for example, a Moncada, um, we've got some other guys throughout the organization. Okay, let's really try to refine and maximize defensively, and let's just stick him at second base right now and try to improve him in all areas so he's comfortable there. It's almost like a home base. Okay, over time, possibly, you know, down the road, um, you start tinkering with some other positions. But um, I think for the most part, um, a lot of these guys' cases, you know, it, it's really just kind of, Okay, how does this guy profile? If he profiles as an everyday guy somewhere, okay, mm-hmm. let's let's try to um, kind of reach his potential defensively at that particular position, and then kind of go from there. But and, you know, a lot of it, you know, a lot of it comes into play is uh, just their their overall skill set uh, and how they profile as a future major leaguer. We're talking with White Sox Director of Player Development, Chris Getz, here on White Sox Weekly. Chris, I, we went down to, a lot of us actually, the media went down to uh, go see the Knights play in Indianapolis uh, about a month and a half ago or something like that. I remember having a, a long discussion with pitching coach Steve McCaddy about Lucas Giolito and just the conversations about you know where he was at, not McCaddy, but Giolito with his mechanics and everything and how his season had gone to that point. And McCaddy really kind of hinted that he he did think things were close to clicking I think it was not the start after that, but the next one, Giolito goes out and throws the no-hitter. He'd had a bunch of really good starts in a row. Clunker last time out. But what what are the development steps for a guy like Giolito? What, what have they been like this season to watch from afar, given where he was uh, with the Nationals, how he came back from some injury, and now where he's been after the first month and a half and then the second here with you guys? You know, once we, we got Lucas, obviously there's a kind of a getting-to-know process. Um, and then, you know, you, you, obviously you see him in spring training, see him in the beginning of the year, you're building the relationship, the trust, all those types of things. Let him go out there and do his thing. You read things, you hear things, you have conversations, but you really got to let him go out there and do his thing and then kind of, okay, this is something we can add here. This is something we can add here. But in the end of the day, when it came to, came to Lucas, we just needed to simplify things. Um, he was aware of that. We were aware of that. We reached a point where, okay, Let's focus on this. Let's focus on that. And then all of a sudden his mechanics, his delivery came to the line. He was able to command his fastball better, land his curveball, 
his sliders improved, his changeup. He started putting these things together. And I, I remember that time uh, when you bring, you bring up Indianapolis and having conversations with McCaddy and some others. And, yeah, I mean, that was – that everyone was talking about we think it's about to kind of turn the corner here and he's going to take off, and he did. You brought up the curveball and slider for Giolito, and whether it's about Giolito or other guys, maybe just in general, uh, Ed Farmer talks a lot on the broadcast about you know when he was coming up and through the big leagues, there, there weren't a lot of guys throwing both a curveball and a slider. Feel for one can sometimes throw off feel for another is kind of his contention, and I think others. Do you guys feel that that's a case-by-case basis, or is that something you watch out for on the whole? It's a case-to-case thing. Um, you know, you want to maximize the pitches that you have and you're most comfortable with. Okay, and now um, you look at that, you evaluate that. If you feel the need that, okay, we can add a little weapon here. Mm-hmm. Uh, in that case, you know, if you a righty's, uh, you know, trying to find a more effective pitch to kind of get in on lefties, something like that, or away from righties, okay, we start um, adding a little cutter slider or something like that. Um, so, you know, it's really kind of how far the how far down the line they are in the development process. Um, you know, because as much we- you want as many weapons as possible, but certainly there's a you know kind of a double-edged sword there. You start adding a fourth pitch and a fifth pitch, you know, it's probably going to minimize. You're going to there's going to be a little bit of a, a, a hit on something else. So, uh, but for the most part, you know, we, if a guy we feel is athletic, he can repeat his delivery with those pitches. Certainly, an added weapon is uh, is, a, is a positive thing. So the White Sox have three going to the Futures game, Yohan Mankata, Michael Kopech, and Zach Collins. Uh, I won't ask you to name a favorite child because that would just be mean, but I've been thinking about Kopech throwing two Mankata with uh, Collins behind the plate as a possibility. Is that is that something you guys can lobby for, if not just for you know something for every White Sox fan to glue in on? No, that would be uh, that would be awesome to see. I know that pretty much every one of those guys being involved uh, would try to elevate their game. Um, <laughs> I know that probably Kopech would, would would love something like that and is kind of envisioning that happening. But uh, just to have three guys in the Futures game, it's obviously an honor and kind of a testament to to what we're doing here. Um, you know, I don't historically I couldn't tell you if other uh, organizations have gotten three. Uh, I know typically. You know, it's one, sometimes two, and to have three, um, it's definitely an exciting thing for us. Where's Zach Collins at at this point? You know, the on-base percentage is through the roof. The kid can't stop walking. The hits have come a little bit in the last week. I think he's he's at five hits in his last week or so. Uh, but overall, the average isn't quite there. The power is, the, the on-base is. Uh, offensively, what are you guys looking at for him at high Winston-Salem for the rest of the way? You know, I... At the end of the end of the year, I think the body to work, the body work is going to be pretty good. You're going to look up and you're going to see power production on base, um, you know, run scored, things like that. And then you obviously put on, uh, you add in the defense and the progress he's made there. Um, you know, average is a finicky thing. It is obviously uh, no doubt. kind of the way defenses are now and the positioning and um, you know, so it, it can be a little bit deceiving. Uh, with that being said, just breaking down Collins as a hitter, he's a guy that, um, you know, timing is, is going to be a huge part of his uh, future success. And, you know, sometimes he, he uh, just like everyone else, um, can be a little bit late, foul some pitches off. But kind of the bonus of that is that he's working working the pitcher and he can work some walks. So, um, 
But over time, we want them to be able to be in a position to hit and drive the ball more consistently. Um, so that's, those are the things we're focusing on right now. We're certainly not worried at all because this guy, you know, we believe in the makeup. Um, he's very confident in himself. He studies. Um, he looks forward to showing up each day. He's a good teammate. I mean, a guy loves baseball. Um, and a guy that loves baseball and has a good feel for the game, that's a pretty good recipe for success. When when you take a look at some of the is, – is that a part where you get some better data than we all get, whether it's StatCast stuff or TrackMan stuff down in the minor leagues? Is that – whether with Collins or with other guys whose average might be a little wonky down there in different ballparks, like do you find – do the White Sox have a, a barrel percentage or do you guys feel more confident looking at some other things that, that we can't see? Yeah, I mean, we've obviously got our kind of information systems and – you know, you can look at kind of the basic statistics and then, like I said, you know, how it applies to Collins. You've got a guy that, okay, is batting average. Okay, that doesn't, that's interesting. And then you see the power and the walks. Let's look a little bit deeper. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of the beauty of what we're, being to, what we're being able to be exposed to nowadays with all the different information coming in and uh, what TrackMan's provided us, StatCast and other things. But um, and let's just look a little bit deeper and, and you know, and count, maybe – Ten years ago, we would look at Collins and, man, this is this is something to worry about. Where nowadays, we're like, okay, you know what? He's actually – there isn't much to worry about here. Yeah, there's some adjustments he needs to make, but there's still so many positives going on. Let's not panic here. So, Mike Rodolfo named uh, Minor League Player of the Month two straight months, June and uh, – June in the last month, too. I, I wonder, you know, with, with a guy like him who was so young when he was signed to the White Sox – what, where are the development aspects that you can identify so early on with a player who's, who's like 16, who's 17, 19 perhaps as an international signee, that you guys immediately realize, okay, these could be rough, but here are the ways, here are the steps this guy is going to take to get better? You know, when, when you get these guys at um, such a young age, you just need to realize kind of where they're coming from, how young they are, and what they're being exposed to for the first time, you know, culturally, you know, to, to coming over to the United States and um, being part of professional baseball, being away from their families, um, you know, it can take its toll. So you kind of have to have that understanding, you know, this first couple of years, let's not necessarily look at the production we're getting from this player. Let's get them comfortable physically and mentally, get them in a good position. And then you hope that the production kind of comes together after that. And to be honest, that's, we're kind of at that point with Mike Rodolfo where he's really, we really feel like he's turned the corner. Um, He's starting to become more of a hitter. He's naturally going to be able to drive the ball just because of his size and bat speed. But, you know, it's, it's been exciting to watch Um, this year for me. I know it's been even more exciting for others who have seen him since he was 16, 17 years old. Last one for you, Chris. I know you got to get out, out to Miami for the Futures game. That'll be a fun one to watch. I know White Sox fans will have their eyes glued to the TV sets for that. What what's the handoff process like between Nick Hostetler and you? Once the draft is done and these guys are assigned, and a, a guy like Jake Berger goes out and hits his first hater in Arizona, where where do you start getting your hands on him, and how involved are you with the process through? And you know, what what are your next steps for the, some of those draftees in 2017 for the White Sox? Well, the beauty of um, kind of these draft meetings that we have as an organization is. Um, you're getting all the scouts in there. Obviously, Nick is uh, kind of running these meetings, and you're putting video up. You're you're hearing hearing all the discussions. Um, some of these guys have known these players for years, and you hear all these stories. And 
Um, so you kind of get the history of the player and you get a feel for the player, even though you don't really know the player yet. So when that handoff comes, it's more, much more of a seamless transition. Um, you know, early on, you know, still, you, you still have those conversations with the scouting department and, um, Hey, what, what did you see here? What did you see there? Um, you know, we see that he kind of went through a little bit of a skid in college at this point. What was the adjustment there just to kind of help us kind of move the process along? But I think it's obviously very important to keep that open line of communication. Um, I think that's kind of the health of the organization is the scouting and the player development. So it's certainly a point of emphasis here. Um, the better and uh, better we can communicate there, I think uh, the better we're putting these positions uh, to move forward within the organization. Chris, really appreciate the time, man. Always good talking to you. And uh, the state of the system seems as though it's in, uh, well, it's it's in pretty good state. So uh, congrats, well done, and enjoy the Futures game, man. All right, thanks, Connor. Yeah, I'm looking forward to getting down there. The Futures game is Sunday at 3 o'clock. We will keep you posted on what's going on in that ball game, of course, during the White Sox and Rockies game, final game before the All-Star break hits tomorrow afternoon. That starts at 2.10. So 3 o'clock will probably be, I don't know, bottom two, something like that. Maybe maybe even the fourth. We'll see. Uh, when that Futures game begins, the White Sox have Zach Collins, Michael Kopech, and who have I, Zach Collins, Michael Kopech, and Yoan Mankata. Sorry, the list jumped on me there, the old internet. Uh, there are two other teams with three players in there. The Houston Astros have Jordan Alvarez. Alvarez probably is actually how you pronounce his name. Alvarez. That's not a name we've never seen before. Come on, Connor. Here it is. Jordan Alvarez, Derek Fisher, and Kyle Tucker for the Houston Astros. And the Milwaukee Brewers have Lewis Brinston, Mauricio Dubon, and Corey Ray. Corey Ray, a Chicago native, a kid who came up out of the ACE program that the White Sox run just a few years ago. He went to Louisville and was the fifth over, if memory serves, fifth overall draft pick in last year's draft. Corey Ray has made the Futures game, which is he, in and of himself, is just an awesome story and a damn good baseball player, first and foremost. But, you know, coming up out of that ACE program and the Sox knew him well, I, I would imagine, you know, had Corey Ray by some strange thing dropped down that White Sox range. Things would have been interesting, but uh, Corey Ray, as it was, went fifth overall to the Brewers. we got to take a quick break and come back with the 7 o'clock news rolled up. We'll have some good news for you after the 7 o'clock news on Avi Garcia. That's all next. Keep it right here, WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. I'm Connor McKnight. we got the White Sox and Rockies coming up in just a few 7.35, in fact, we'll start the pregame show. Had some uh, some good news on Avi Garcia just a few minutes ago. Wanted to bring it to you here. White Sox have tweeted that apparently Ricky Renteria has said it, and we'll talk with Dan Hayes about it, hopefully in just a few minutes here on the show. Avi feeling a lot better today and into tomorrow. That is the uh, that is the, the, the report. Avi, of course, with the jammed finger that kept him out of the ballgame last night. He is not in the lineup tonight, but... Here's the the basis of what we're talking about here. Feeling a lot better. Likely in tomorrow. More than likely in tomorrow. Expected to play tomorrow. And uh, the idea is that he's uh, even available for a pinch hit tonight. So the White Sox all-star. Feeling a lot better. Uh, and, that, and that's a good thing. He'd missed a handful of games. What with the knee issue uh, over the, let's see, that was last week. He missed five in a row. And now today it sounds like that jammed finger is coming around for him a little bit. So that is uh, indeed a good thing. 
591-8900 is the phone number. Or you can hit us on Twitter at C1McKnight. That is the uh, that is the phone number here on the show. A um, couple of things to do here before we get out. First, we are trying to get a hold of Dan Hayes, who is, um, let's see, going to join us in just a few. I'm going to have to do some little producing here on the show, so give me one brief second, and then we'll... Okay, there we go. So we're looking for Dan Hayes, and uh, Don has his number now over on his phone. I've just texted it over. We're doing producing right here live on the air. I can. Oh, in the meanwhile, I'll tell you this. Sox fans, Wednesday, July 26th at 7.10 p.m., your Chicago White Sox take on the Chicago Cubs. First 10,000 fans will receive a White Sox lunch bag presented by United Airlines. United, proud to fly the Chicago White Sox. Purchase tickets today by visiting whitesox.com or... Calling 866-SOX-GAME. Also, the first 25,000 fans at each game receive a Mercs... Wait, no, this is only half the read. Uh, well, I'll tell you what. Go to WhiteSox.com or call 866-SOX-GAME. You can get yourself out to that game on July 26th and be a part of the Sox-Cubs rivalry that is so heated. Uh, got a couple of things for you. The lineup for this evening against the Colorado Rockies is a somewhat typical one. Adam Engel in center field and leading off for the White Sox. Melky Cabrera is in left. Jose Abreu at first. Todd Frazier at third, Yolmer Sanchez at second base. Kevin Smith is going to do the catching. Tim Anderson is at short. Willie Garcia is in right. And Jose Quintana is batting nine and pitching. We will also bring you, um, well, we just clipped this off of the old postgame reports. Derek Holland spoke after last night's ball game and um, took it on himself. The start that, that happened last night against the Rockies, four innings and seven runs and two walks, two strikeouts, two home runs. And, you know, he, he said one thing that I, I thought kind of struck me some is he's got to go back. What he said, I've got to go back and look at more tape. I've got to go back and find out, work harder to find out what I've been doing wrong because as he came out of the bullpen last night, again, this is all from, from Holland last night, and you hear some of this in the pregame show, he was talking with Don Cooper and was talking about how it, things things felt good. Things looked good in the bullpen. Things weren't where that was going into going into the game, or, or they weren't what it what showed up in the ball game last night against the Rockies. So it'd be interesting to see what kind of results that those are a new approach is able to kind of glean for him. Everybody's got four days off, and in talking with Coop yesterday too on the pregame show. Starters are going to know which game they have kind of out of the break. You've got one, you've got two, you've got three, four, five, so forth and so on. And a lot of these guys have a guy that'll catch them maybe once, maybe twice if you're a bullpen guy over the all-star break. Not all that important to do twice, but definitely once. Get up and throw. Keep the arm alive and ready to roll around. Um, but that is kind of the, the general plan, the general outlook for uh, the White Sox as they lead into the all-star break. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We are going to real quickly here take a break. When we come back, we will effort to have Dan Hayes of the of CSN Chicago on the line with us from Denver. That's up next. Keep it right here. WSAM, this is White Sox Weekly.
St. Xavier University has a long history of serving transfer students looking to complete their undergraduate degree. With an easy transfer of your college credits, generous scholarships for full-time transfer students, and reduced tuition for part-time students, transferring has never been easier. Applications are being accepted for summer and fall, so apply online today for free. sxu.edu, keyword apply. Or complete the entire registration process in one step by attending an upcoming transfer day event. Visit sxu.edu, keyword transfer day for future dates. St. Xavier University, where success meets purpose. Hey, Bill, I got to tell you about this move. This guy's in the aisle, drives to the register, pulls out his BMO Harris Bulls debit MasterCard. It is up and yes! Absolutely. He swipes his card and this guy just dominates the register. You know, they really put in the work during the offseason. He went to a BMO Harris branch, opened a Bulls fan card, and just got the job done. And this, this is how purchases are made, folks. What can I say, Chuck? The BMO Harris fan card is always in the right place at the right time. Just like cherry pie in your eye. Absolutely. Onions, baby onions. Um, you guys are in the checkout line? Yes, we are. And we are in the way. But here's your onions. When you have the BMO Harris Bulls Debit MasterCard, it's like the team is always with you. Stop by a BMO Harris branch to apply today or visit bmoharris.com slash fancard for more details. BMO Harris personal checking account required. Banking products and services are subject to banking credit approval. BMO Harris Bank N.A., member FDIC. MasterCard is a registered trademark of MasterCard International Incorporated. The Chicago White Sox are trying to create the best home field atmosphere in baseball. The Village of Bedford Park offers your business a great location and a winning environment. Bedford Park is close to Interstate Highway's Midway Airport hotel campuses and is a home to a major rail hub. Other advantages include a huge water supply, vast and inexpensive permitting, and excellent police and fire services. Make Bedford Park a winning home for your business. For available properties, call Maryland at 708-496-0346 or visit villageofbedfordpark.com. Hi, Barry Sterner, founder of Townstone Financial. I want to answer some frequently asked home mortgage questions today. First, how much do I need for a down payment? There are 1% down payment programs currently running, as well as programs that will allow you to get the entire down payment as a gift. We also have programs where a family member can co-sign for the mortgage in order to help the borrower qualify. Do I need perfect credit to qualify for a loan? The answer is no. All these programs have restrictions, so please give me a call at 312-896-2110, and I'll be happy to go over them. Another question is, can I take cash out of my house to pay off high-interest credit card debt? The answer is yes, but you need to have enough equity in your house to make it happen. Why Townstone instead of the big banks? Because since 2002, we pride ourselves on beating the big banks on closing costs and interest rates every day. Remember, nobody values your home mortgage business more than Townstone. I guarantee it, and I own the company. So call 312-896-2110 or go to townstone.com. That's T-O-W-N-S-T-O-N-E.com. Townstone Financial is in Indiana, Michigan, Wisconsin, Florida, Illinois Mortgage Licensee, 6629 and MLS-136639, Equal Housing Lender. Steve Dahl is here. Weekday afternoons, 3 till 7 on WLS AM 890. Welcome back to White Sox Weekly here on WLS AM 890. Let's head out to the phone lines. Dan Hayes, CSN Chicago, joins us on the other side of the line and in Coors Field. Hi, Dan. Hey, how are you doing, Connor? Doing fantastic. Thanks for joining us. Appreciate it, as always. Uh, The news, sir, the latest on Avi Garcia as he rebounds from a jammed finger and the uh, and the left knee. What's up with Avi? The left knee is fine. The jammed finger has bothered him a little bit, but it sounds like uh, making progress. I saw him grab a bat in the pregame clubhouse today. So Rick Renneria said that he thinks he could be available tonight. Avi yesterday said that he hopes to uh, expect Sunday and definitely expects to be in there for the All-Star game. So, you know, he said there was some inflammation in there, uh, a little bit of inflammation and soreness, but 
he uh, he did it on the second at bat on Wednesday at Oakland, and mm. with treatment was feeling like it was getting better. So it seemed like it was minor, um, but at the same time, you never know, and and so we should get a better sense when that lineup comes out tomorrow morning. I know it's always kind of a weird balance guys have to take with the All-Star game. I mean, obviously, it's a huge thing for Avi, coming from where he came from to make this team, but at the same time, he wants to be in there for his club. And it's not just Avi. Other guys who are named to that All-Star team have to balance that, you know, being there for your ball club and then wanting to do this thing that is so important to them. And, you know, the club understands that, too. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is a big deal for him. You think about where he's come from. And just where he was, even at the start of this season, and now all of a sudden, here he gets to go to baseball's biggest showcase on on Tuesday night. And they'd love to see himself out there. I remember talking to Jose Quintana last year just about how much important or how important it was just in the the confidence gained by walking around that clubhouse. And and regardless of whether or not he plays, he's gonna get that feeling though that he belongs because he is gonna be in that clubhouse with with all those guys and and look over and and see all the other stars around the league and, and know that he belongs there. And I think that's a, a good thing. But at the same time, he wants to play very much. and he, he also wants to be ready for the second half. So he has to kind of balance the two. The White Sox have helped him balance that. And and, and obviously this week with the knee, they, they took it kind of cautiously because they want him to play 75 of the uh, 75 games in the second half. Dan Hayes, CSN Chicago, joining us here toward the end of White Sox Weekly this evening. Uh, Derek Holland was in the clubhouse last night after his start and used some pretty strong terms to describe himself and his outings the last two times. What have, what have you seen from Derek? What have you seen out of him after his starts? Can you put it into context for us, um, the way he's pitched and the way he's reacted to it, too? Well, you know, the curveball hasn't been as, as good lately, it feels like. It, you just look at it and that's his, his pitch that if the fastball isn't being spotted perfectly, it's going to be a long day. And, and we saw it last night. He wasn't quite laying in those corners with the fastball. And curveball gets hit. And, you know, the slider hasn't been there much. And so it's been a long seven starts, actually. You look back, and I think it's he started uh, in Detroit June 2nd. And since then, he has a 10-13 ERA. And, and he's a big critic of himself. I mean, he does not – words on it and we had to bleep out one and mm-hmm. you know there he, he definitely uh was upset with himself and i think that's just realistic for uh, you know it's a, it doesn't surprise me i should say with him because look this is a big year for him he's a free agent after this year health was the biggest factor each of the last three seasons he's got that again and and he wants the results that he had before when he was healthy and he just isn't having them right now and to go seven starts like that and have an extended run where he struggled like this is obviously something that he's kind of dealing with. And he's going to get a couple of days off from the break, obviously, the four days, and try and regroup and, and figure it out. But he said he's going to have to go back at video and look to see what he's doing. And it's definitely been a try and run. I would imagine, Dan, that at the ballpark tonight, since Jose Quintana's pitching for the White Sox, there are a bunch of mid-50-year-old guys with polo shirts that belong to various ball clubs that are tucked into jeans that are maybe a little out of date, but the hell with it. You know, they they got other jobs to do. They're looking at ball players. What do you expect the uh, attention to be like for Quintana over his next couple of starts? Yeah, it would be pretty uh, full. I, I think the scout section is full for tonight's game. Yeah. I mean, that's what you expect at this point. Jose Quintana, you know, I don't know that it, it's – from results, of course you want great results. I don't know if it's it's huge in the results. I think the important thing for him is to have the stuff that he has had and, and have that 92-mile-an-hour fastball or 91 spotted on the corners 
you know, the put the curve in at the right spots, have the changeup they've had. I mean, if those things are there, that's really what's going to determine his value. Um, if he gets hit a little bit and, and, you know, there's a lot of blue pits that happen here. There's a lot of games that get out of hand by stuff that a pitcher just can't control. And so I think that everyone kind of takes that into the equation when they look at starts here. I'm coming here for 11 years and I've never seen, you know, clean baseball here with the exception of a few times. So it's not an easy place to be pitching and, and it's a tough place to be evaluated. But I think that that's probably what guys have to look for is, is the stuff as opposed to the results, because you can break a bat and give up a boot single and that, little bleeder that gets through the right side, then all of a sudden you got two guys on. You know, this place is, is not an easy place to pitch. Obviously, historically, there's a lot of evidence to that. So I, I, it'll be interesting. But without question, the next couple starts, this stuff is going to matter a lot and, and could determine where he ends up. You know, it's interesting you bring up Coors Field as a tough place to scout. I, I find it interesting that there are so many guys there right now. I, I remember it was either in – Late in high school for me or early college, like 03, 04 kind of range, Ben Sheets I was up in Milwaukee, and Ben Sheets, he had that, you know, that big curveball, right? But he went right. up to the Colorado Rockies and he scratched it, didn't throw it, kind of invented a changeup then and there and struck out eight, I think, in that start. He was fantastic. He had to, he had to be a completely different guy. Do you talk to right. – have scouts mentioned how difficult it is to, to see a guy, to actually get a, a, a bead on a guy like this? You know, that's a, that's a good question. I mean, I imagine they do. I haven't specifically talked to anyone about it just because this is the first time I've been here in like four years. But but you have to think that because you, you look at how teams evaluate pitchers in Arizona during yeah. spring training. And, you know, they know that, like, for instance, Zach Putnam, when he throws that split finger, it doesn't work in Arizona. It's just the dry weather changes it. And I learned that early on in my career that some pitches in some places don't work because of the conditions. So, you would have to think if teams are doing that with Arizona for spring training, that they have to be doing the same thing. Scouts would have to be doing the same thing when they when they look at a start like this place. So on the flip side of everybody checking out Jose Quintana and seeing what they want to see is a guy like you know Chris Getz, who we just had on the show and is headed down to the Futures game in Miami to take a look at some of the young prospects throughout baseball. Obviously, the homework has been done on a lot of these guys, but what kind of sense do you get that, you know, from the other side, the White Sox obviously will want to scout some of those young players. They might get back if they do move anybody. Is there a lot of action, more action than you're, than you're used to seeing on that side of things at this point in the year? Where, where the White Sox are scouting guys? Yeah, taking a look. I mean, of course, I, I think that they have to be prepared. They're in a different situation than normal years. So I think in that case, yeah, we saw them do it last year, too, at the end mm -hmm. of the year. They went out and scouted organizations, whole, you know, and, and and dove into them. And they did the same thing in 2013 when Jake Peavy. I mean, it changes things a little bit because you know what position you're in. And they're fortunate in that regard because they can set it up and, and say, look, hey, this is what we're going to do. And I think that that really helped them with the Red Sox last year, knowing exactly what they wanted out of that trade to, to dive into the Red Sox the last couple of months of the season, both at the pro level and at the minor league level. And – Obviously, they were very pleased with what they were able to get. And I, I think just, again, knowing where you are, because we look at the standings and there's so much parity around it, yeah. and, and teams just don't know what they're going to do. And, and knowing what you're going to do gives you an advantage for sure. And 
I think the White Sox, at least from that regard, are in a, a pretty decent position. So, Dan, if you had to write, Dan Hayes, CS in Chicago here with us for just one more minute. If you had to write the <laughs> two-sentence uh, approximation of the both, you know, now that we're at the end of the first half with the All-Star break or mathematically, if you had to write the two-sentence lead on what has stood out to you most about these White Sox so far, what would you write? Uh, I would write more interesting than I thought they would have been. And that's that's probably it. I yeah. mean, just that I, I think you expected, you know, rebuilds can be really ugly. And, and at least the offense has, has shown some signs of life. I mean, you think about the pitching stuff they've gone through and the fact that they've been in games, it, it's it's astounding with the injuries they've had that they're not 20 games under right now. I mean, look at all the injuries, bullpen and starting staff. You know, the offense has kept them around, and some good young development has happened. So more interesting than I thought they were. That's a pretty good lead. You should write that up for the All-Star break. <laughs> Thanks, Connor. You got it, man. I will, uh, I will do that. Really appreciate you coming on, as always, and enjoy your All-Star break, my friend. All right. Thanks for having me. Dan Hayes, CSN Chicago. You can follow him there online, csnchicago.com. Follow him on Twitter. I think it's CSN Dan Hayes. He is a darn good follow if you're uh, into the White Sox, and I would imagine that if you're listening to the show, you probably are. That does it for us on the show this afternoon. Stay tuned, though. The White Sox pregame show starts at 735, so just about 10 minutes from now. I have many thank yous to dole out. Uh, thanks first and foremost to Don Kleppen, our producer. Thanks also to um, Bill, whose last name is escaping me, works on the morning show and helped us out with Chris uh, Chris Getz's interview. Also, Michael Gray. Well, that's somewhat embarrassing. Bill Hopkins. I apologize. Sorry, Bill. Couldn't have done it without you. Thanks to Chris Getz. Thanks to Dan Hayes. Thanks to Colin Whitchurch of BP Southside, all for coming on the show. Thanks so much to you for calling and texting. Most of all, thanks for listening. We'll be back next Saturday, of course, and that'll be a whole different look. Sox will have played one game after the All-Star break, the Friday game. And then really, like I said at the top of the show, we're, we're taking off here. I mean, we are, after that All-Star break, taking off to the deadline. It's going to be a fun one. Pre-game show starts in 10. I'm Connor McKnight. You've got WLS AM 890.